friends. Welcome to the broadcast. I am James Corbett of CorbettReport.com, and you are tuned into Corbett Report Radio here on this 29th of February 2012. For most of you there in the United States, for myself here in Japan across the dateline, it's already the 1st of March, and it's a bright, sunshiny day. So it is great to have you on board for tonight's broadcast, and we have a very exciting and very interesting conversation lined up for you tonight. Tonight we're going to be talking to Dr. Nick Begich, who is the eldest son of the late U- U.S. Congressman from Alaska, Nick Begich Sr. He's also the brother of Mark Begich, the current junior U.S. Senator from Alaska. And he's, uh, well, quite accomplished in his own right. In addition to being a medical doctor, a doctor of medicine, he's also uh, written extensively on a number of, of subjects, perhaps most famously harp, and uh, perhaps his most famous work is Angels Don't Play This Harp, but he's the author of numerous other books, including Earth Rising and, and many others. He's the uh, founder and co-owner and publisher of Earth Pulse Press at earthpulse.com, and uh, he's lectured and, and spoken extensively in various uh, places around the world, including uh, spoken to the uh, European Parliament and and uh, been a guest on numerous different media outlets. So it is an honor to have you on the program today, Dr. Nick Begich. Thank you so much for joining us. Hey, thanks for having me. It's a pleasure to uh, be with you this evening. Excellent. Well, it is the first time that we've uh, we've ever spoken. So, uh, and uh, obviously, some of the listeners out there will already be aware of you and some of your work. Some won't. So, uh, I did a, a haphazard job of putting together a brief bio there for uh, to introduce you. But perhaps you can tell us a little oh, bit more about your background. Well, you know, my uh, my uh, interest has been in uh, science and technologies. Of course, we've been reporting on various technologies and areas of science over the last fifteen years, and. Uh, you know, a lot of it is, of course, that was uh, originally with the HARP project and then other military technologies, privacy-related technologies and the like. And we, we've done a little bit on um, actually minerals energy uh, issues as well, you know, as we look at sort of forward to the, you know, what's happening economically and within the country. And, you know, the Alaska is where I'm uh, generally based. I'm not there at the moment. I'm actually a little bit further south. Uh, this this week I'm in uh, in, in Maui, so I'm in a nice uh, warm place thawed out from a long winter. Um, but uh, headed back uh, to Anchorage on uh, on on Monday, and uh, that's where I make my home. It's a very interesting place and uh, uh, quite a, a different from the rest of the United States. Well, of that I have no doubt, and uh, I would say that I'd wish I could join you there in Hawaii. But uh, as a Canadian, I guess I can't uh, I can't uh, complain about cold weather too much, or people might get angry. Um, well, what you mentioned that you're interested in science and technology. Obviously, you've written and lectured extensively on that in the past. Tell us about some of the types of technologies that uh, that you're interested in and have written about. Well, the um, uh, harp was the first uh, thing that I guess really got a little bit of notoriety. Some of our writing it was a high-frequency active auroral research project here in Alaska, which is a uh, which was a large radio transmitter um, set up by the Air Force and Navy originally, and then later switched over to to DARPA. Uh, that that was um, a subject of a lot of a lot of our work in the in the 1990s. And essentially, what it what it is is it's intended to focus or concentrate radio frequency energy in a way that's quite different from most transmitters. Most transmitters, uh, when you think about radio frequency energy, like uh, shining a flashlight, in fact, following the same principle um, in physics, where you shine a flashlight on the wall and the beam is narrow at the light and wide at the wall, the same is true with 
radio frequency energy, but as as is the case of uh, lasers, focus and harp is actually a focus. Absolutely. Well, time flies, and the first break is already here, so we'll take a short break, but we'll be back in just a few minutes here with Dr. Nick Begich talking about advanced technologies, harp, mind control, weather manipulation, and so much more. So please stay tuned right there. We'll be back right after this. Radio today on this uh, 29th of February 2012, talking to Dr. Nick Begich of EarthPulse.com. And although I want to monopolize the conversation tonight, and as the doorbell rings in my home studio apartment once again, I'd like to uh, to invite you all to join in on tonight's conversation. Any questions or comments? One eight hundred three one three nine four four three. Dr. Begich, so much I'd like to go over with you tonight, but of course, uh, harp is is one of those big issues, and especially being here in Japan, uh, obviously what happened at Fukushima last year is a huge concern for everyone here. And in the immediate aftermath of what happened on 3.11, of course we heard about the people immediately claiming that it was directly as a result of harp. And at the time I was somewhat incredulous about that possibility because there seemed to be little to back it up. But uh, some very interesting things have come up in, in the meantime to, to make me really question about that. But before we get into that, perhaps we can talk a little bit about harp, uh, what it is, how it functions, and how it could be potentially used to trigger such things as earthquakes. Sure. A harp, harp, again, is a, a focusing instrument. Uh, instead of radio frequency energy spreading out uh, as, as, it, as it normally uh, does, it concentrates it into a relatively small area, and then by pulsing uh, that um, uh, energy, that radio frequency energy, you can create a number of effects. And so what, what essentially, um, by analogy, you could compare harp to what uh, uh, a laser does with light. You know, it concentrates the light, focuses. It makes it much different in terms of what, how it behaves than, um, say, light coming off of um, a, a common flashlight. The same is true uh, with, with harp. Some of the ideas that were initially considered were the idea that you could take harp and literally plug into or connect with or couple with the ionosphere layer that begins about 30 miles out from the surface of the Earth and goes out several hundred miles from there. But by manipulating its character, uh, you could then do a number of things. For instance, when we have a lot of solar activity, uh, it disrupts the ionosphere, can disrupt power grids, communications of all kinds. But if you could stabilize it from the ground, you could actually facilitate communications during those times. So that was one of the considerations uh, with HARP. And then a number of straight-up military applications that all came out of uh, Bernard Eastland and uh, another gentleman um, that had developed a series of patents utilizing this particular kind of transmitter for over-the-horizon radar, for um, potentially knocking out uh, satellites, for stimulating uh, uh, weather by affecting certain aspects of our environment directly, uh, and even perhaps uh, being able to be able to, to pump energy in and uh, into the earth in a frequency range that could even trigger um, seismic events was the was the thought along those lines. 
Well, that's, I mean, that is fascinating, and I'm certainly uh, uh, very much interested in that. But again, I, I've seen in the wake of basically every major earthquake to come along recently, people sort of almost as a, what I take to be a type of knee-jerk response, just immediately blaming Harp for it. And it right, raises in right. my mind, it raises in my mind sort of how do we differentiate between what would be a naturally occurring earthquake and a uh, Harp-induced earthquake. But along those lines, I found it particularly interesting that in May of last year, the Technology Review which is uh, published by MIT and available at technologyreview.com, published some findings that uh, it ran under a headline, Atmosphere Above Japan Heated Rapidly Before M9 Earthquake, and it has uh, some, some graphics showing the, uh, the heating of the, uh, the, that part of the atmosphere. And, in fact, that was further concer- confirmed back in September of last year when uh, the Geophysical Research Letters published uh, a paper by Kosuke Heki of the Department of Natural Sciences at Hokkaido University, and uh, that was called ionospheric electron enhancement preceding the 2011 Tohoku-Oki earthquake. And it uh, goes on in the abstract to say that large events beneath dense observation networks could bring breakthroughs to seismology and geodynamics. And here I report one such finding. And it talks about a clear precursory positive anomaly of ionospheric total electron content, content around the focal region of the earthquake which was then later reported in, in media, various media as such things as Great Tohoku Earthquake probably shook Earth's upper atmosphere before it shook the Earth, which I find to be a very bizarre finding if we're thinking of it in just straightforward terms of, uh, of cause and effect. But if we, if we actually reverse that and think that the ionosphere heating might have had something to do with triggering the earthquake, that actually makes a lot more sense to my layman's mind at any rate. But perhaps I can get your thoughts on that. Yeah, you know, this is um, uh, pretty uh, pretty important. There have been, you know, even going back to the 1960s, the Alaskan earthquake, there were uh, um, visual events above the zone, you know, in terms of ionospheric disturbances that uh, were associated with the, with that quake. And it's not uncommon to see that uh, type of disturbance. But what you're what you're drawing is exactly the kind of uh, connection that, that as others have drawn, you know, if you could stimulate the ionosphere in just the right way, would you in fact send a, you know, signal back that releases energy into the earth? And this is exactly um, the concept. In fact, there was a quote by Secretary of Defense William Cohen that we quoted back in 2000 in a book called um, Earth Rising, the Revolution. And he said, uh, others, and I quote, others are engaging even in an ecotype of terrorism whereby they can alter climate, set up earthquakes and volcanoes remotely through the use of electromagnetic waves, unquote. Now, when you go back to 1997 when that was said, and what he was commenting on were terrorist states uh, at a DOD news briefing, Department of Defense news briefing after um, a lecture on international terrorism and weapons of mass destruction. The thought was that you could trigger these kinds of events if you could figure out how to manipulate energy in just the right way, and that's exactly what... Um, many have suggested, and, and, and even the inventor of HARP understood in terms of weather modification that HARP could be very effective in either manipulating gravitational waves, which can affect weather systems, or uh, manipulate jet streams in, in very deliberate ways. But, you know, these are, um, you know, big effects when you think about a machine on the ground coupling with natural environment and using the energy within the natural environment sort of as the weapon itself. That's a pretty powerful thing when you think about it. 
Well, certainly so, and and the uh, the ramifications of that and the various uses must just be mind-boggling. But I mean, some of them that I've heard suggested are uh, advanced uh, underground tomography and and uh, weather manipulation and other things that you've mentioned. What what is the official Pentagon PR on what HARP is for and what kind of research they're doing? Well, you know, actually, there's quite a bit that was um, uh, that we developed early early in our work that were public documents, the EIS statements and the studies that led to its development. And I think we used a couple hundred, maybe almost 300 source documents when we wrote Angels uh, Don't Play This Harp. But all of the um, military applications, over-the-horizon radar applications, um, stabilizing the ionosphere and researching the ionosphere, all those things show up. Earth-penetrating tomography uh, is one of the issues that shows up for counterproliferation and uh, non-proliferation of nuclear weapons, among other purposes. But um, the weather modification stuff shows up in a, in a couple of places. And then, you know, some of the more exotic things um, are, you can either look at the side effects or perhaps deliberate effects of this system. You know, the idea that you can create uh, an ELF signal, extremely low-frequency signal, which is used for earth-penetrating tomography, which is in simple terms or by analogy would be like, uh, X-raying the Earth. They're looking into the Earth several uh, kilometers deep. And using an ELF, an extremely low-frequency uh, wavelength, you can penetrate the Earth and see, and then it reflects back a little bit of energy that you can then image underground. You can see what's underground. But those same frequency ranges are biologically active. And the brain, for instance, has what's called a frequency uh, following response, where the brain locks onto an external signal, begins to mirror that signal, and as a consequence, uh, emotional states can change, you know, pretty, pretty rapidly. And so these, these kinds of signals happen to be the same kind that we can interact with and do interact with and in that way, which causes, you know, a lot of concern because either as a side effect or a deliberate effect of these systems, a lot of things can happen. Well, I, I understand uh, there's a very interesting article on EarthPulse.com called Background of the HARP Project, and it goes through some of the uh, the military precursors to, to HARP and how it came together, and it goes back as far as Project right. Argus back in 1958. Perhaps you could talk about some of the precursors to this technology and where it came from. Well, there were several things that, you know, that were involved in sort of looking at um, how energy interacts in, in the upper um, atmosphere. And, and, and so... When you look at some of the older uh, tests, one of the things that came out was uh, the, the discovery of, of EMP, electromagnetic pulse, the surges of energy that would knock out electronics, you know, over pretty good-sized areas. And so the thought was, you know, if you could ever detonate a bomb above the a country target, you, you could knock out their electronics. Well, the same is true if you can manipulate um, energy of the ionosphere. You, know, you can have the same... Effect. So that became sort of one of those things that uh, could you create an EMP, an electromagnetic pulse, using something like uh, pulsed radio frequency energy surge into the ionosphere. Uh, one of the other areas, uh, that, you know, when you look at ionospheric research, it goes back for decades and decades because it's vital to our communications and so on. But from that, you know, a lot of different uh bits of information form. There was some research done at Stanford where they figured out that if you could send very low frequency energy up into the ionosphere, the signal that you could get up there would amplify by up to a thousand times. Now, 
you know, energy has to come from somewhere, and where it happens to come from is right there. And there's, so there's ways to sort of tap into those energy sources of the planet and manipulate them as, think about it as a primer on a bullet. That's what harp is on the ground. And it, it has the ability to release vast amounts of energy in controlled and deliberate ways, um, just like tuning a radio. Mm, exactly, exactly. And, and uh, from what I understand, just a vast amounts of energy can be released by this. So we'll, we'll continue this conversation on the other side of this break. Once again, if you want to get in on tonight's conversation with a question for Dr. Begich, you can phone in 1-800-313-9443. We'll take a short break, and we'll be right back after these messages. We're back. We're back here on Corbett Report Radio. I'm James Corbett of CorbettReport.com. Tonight we're talking to Dr. Nick Beggage of EarthPulse Press at EarthPulse.com. And we'll check that out. Lots of interesting information, articles, videos, links to lectures, etc. there to uh, explore on this and many other issues. And I do want to get into some of the other technologies and, and some of the other things that, that you write about. But, of course, HARP is uh, such a large one. And I know in some ways that can almost be frustrating to bring attention to a subject only to find people sort of copying or emulating what you're talking about rather than actually looking into it for themselves. And I know that that can result in distortion of the message. So as I mentioned before, being here in Japan and talking about Fukushima, of course, there was the uh, the overwhelming flood of people in the first days and weeks after that um, who were seemingly convinced right away that it was harp. And I, being the skeptical sort, have uh, basically withheld my judgment on that until such time as we get better information. But uh, but as right. someone who has been researching this for so long, what's your gut take on on that in particular and also how in general we can determine if something is harp-caused or not? Well, here's um, uh, the thing is these man-made sources create a coherent, um, rhythmic uh, signal that, you know, you can actually... You could even triangulate its source if you were monitoring it correctly. But the point, uh, you know, with with the fact that these things can create be created by man, I think that's maybe the big concern, the fact that it comes up on every quake. I don't think right now there's independent monitoring where someone could say definitively any earthquake was associated with one country's triggering event, although it's been asserted in a couple places, you know, when, under um, um, when Haiti had the earthquakes, it was Chavez and the Chinese. I think also that asserted that was a man-made triggered event, and we were responsible here in the U.S. And you know it could have been, but the point is, there's only a few countries that can figure that out, and China's certainly one of them. Uh, the the point is, uh, the technology exists today, and the fact that it does, and there's uh, there is some treaty that goes back uh, to the 70s treaty that had uh, occurred between 60 countries on environmental manipulation, which included things like earthquakes and volcanic eruptions and creating tidal waves and this kind of thing. Because people thought you could trigger them with, you know, nuclear explosions or other means. And so there were treaties signed back then, exempted uh, domestic use, what you could do within the boundaries of your own country, which is kind of stupid, you know, when you think about it, because... Weather doesn't respect, you know, countries' boundaries, you know, when you think about do you affect your own and do you affect someone else? Well, of course you do. Uh, What's the point but, of banning it only against yourself instead of as, as a type, type of military intervention? 
Well, here's the thing. All these treaties, and a lot of people don't realize it, but most of our trees, chemical and biological trees inclusive, uh, exclude domestic use. You can, you can use what you can't, what you can't use against your declared enemy, you can use it at home against your own citizens. That's why, uh, in late 1999, uh, there was, uh, an incident in Moscow where some Chechens had taken over a movie theater, and eventually they were overwhelmed with gas, and a bunch of them died, and they went in and shut the thing down. Well, those gases were illegal in an international event by that country who signed Russia. But, but, but the fact is, <laughs> in domestically, that same treaty allowed you to do it. The same is true with all these treaties. Domestic use, they don't really bind you what you can do in your own country, just what you do outside of it. And that's, I mean, that's the international treaties, and so they all have that in them. But the unfortunate thing is, when you look at um, weather modification, now you have individuals, also uh, companies involved in some of that work now and offering that for sale, which creates in what's already clearly an unstable system, regardless of the causes, the, the weather systems, and then you're altering them by man and creating further problems. This is, uh, in the case of Harp, you know, what Bidard Eason determined before he passed away in 2007 was that with a lot less energy than he ever imagined, you could actually, uh, uh, 1,600 times less energy, uh, you could trigger uh, weather events and so on by manipulating gravitational waves, which could also manipulate, in some people's estimation, um, earthquakes or, or these kinds of things. And there you're taking, think about an earthquake as uh, two faults or two plates or uh, land masses coming up against each other and what moving in, in, in a direction that causes friction or tension to build that gets released either over time in small quakes that don't disturb too much or else one big jolt. And if you could control that release by pumping energy in in a certain way to cause to release at a specific point all at once, well, yeah, pretty powerful weapon. And that's that's the underlying mechanism that William Cohen was uh, talking about when he was uh, Secretary of Defense and others have talked about in terms of these kinds of triggering events. So, you know, can Harb do it? Yes. Are there other systems that probably could? Yeah, probably so. Um, but no one's monitoring this. Well, that I think is an important point because I think it would be naive, naive of us to believe that only Harp and only the U.S. has this technology. I imagine at this point there are numerous countries that would be working on similar systems, if not uh, really basically the same technology. Yeah, that, and that comes out in the literature. You know, those that actually go through and, and dig that out and uh, myself and the late uh, James Roderick, who worked with me, uh, did a lot of that work. Gene Manning worked with me on a lot of that. And, you know, when you start to look at the uh, pile of material that uh, has come from that, you know, whole realm, I think we should be concerned. And geophysical uh, manipulation of the planet is a big concern. You know, and, and one of those that came out, came big focus of our work, and everyone wants to blame Hart, but that is right. There are many other governments involved in this kind of research doing work in this area and advancing I, I would suspect in the same way we are well exactly right and so on that note we are up against another break but we already have a couple of uh, callers waiting on the line so we'll go to them right after this break and again anyone else who wants to get in and ask some questions 1-800-313-9443 and we'll be back with Dr. Nick Begage of earthpulse.com talking about mind control technologies and much more besides right after this sure, I am the president President Jimmy Carter. You're listening to the Republic Broadcasting Network. Because you can handle the truth.
Welcome back, friends. You're tuned in Corporate Report Radio, and tonight we're talking to Dr. Nick Beggage of EarthPulse Press at EarthPulse.com, and he's the author of numerous books and uh, lecturer and has uh, written extensively on mind control technologies and HARP and many other subjects to do with health, environment, and science. So it is a pleasure talking to him tonight, and I'm going to share that pleasure with some of the listeners, including a couple of the callers who have uh, been waiting patiently on the line. So we have Larry in Washington. Larry, thanks for joining us tonight. Uh, what's your question for Dr. Begich? Thank you, gentlemen. Uh, I have a question. Have, doctor, have you ever heard of uh, Lorraine Morant? Yes, I have. I saw her on a program that she came out and said, yeah, that harp caused that Fukushima. I mean, what is, what is your belief on that? Well, again, um, without independent monitoring, I'd have a little tougher time coming to that conclusion, although it's possible. And I think that's really the bigger issue is the possibility on these events, you know, the major quakes and some of the uh, weather anomalies that have been reported. All of those are possible from... Um, Systems like HARP, and 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 that's where if you, I, I, it's interesting. I know she's uh, a scientist, and I'm sure she has her rationale for coming to conclusion. I'd like to see what that is and have a better understanding of it. But certainly possible. Uh, okay, and that's what I was thinking too, because I heard the same thing happened over in China that, that they had some young Chinese student filming before that, and there was some kind of glow. Atmospheric right. glow. Right, that's correct, and that was in China as well. And they, and if you go back far enough, in, fact, uh, in the book Angels Don't Play This Harp that Gene Manning and I published back in um, uh, '94, and still, in fact, still in, in print. And you know, we talked about that happening with the Great Alaskan earthquake. Um, same kind of situation. You had air glow associated with it yeah. in the ionosphere, which some think is like uh, what they call a piezoelectric. Uh, uh, reaction when two plates of earth rub against each other, they release um, a, a bit of a charge, and that charge then stimulates the ionosphere. Which you know, all that makes sense. And well, they got to come up with something. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's but, like the twin towers. Yeah, it can cut both, but it can cut both ways, and that's um, something I think is is very <laughs> true. Because what you do in the ionosphere in terms of triggering these kinds of an event, um, that's. Uh, it makes it very tough to distinguish without that independent monitoring. Okay. Thank you, Mike. All right, Larry, thank you so much for the call. Thanks. And thanks, uh, let's move along to Eric in Georgia. Eric, thanks for calling in. What's your question for Dr. Baggage? Hello? Hello, Eric. Yes. Um, yeah, the previous caller kind of stole part of my thunder um, as I was going to ask about Fukushima, but... Uh, um, I'd also heard in regards to Fukushima that that earthquake, whether it was caused by man-made intervention or not, uh, did not have the characteristic signature of a natural uh, phenomenon, and that loca- uh, uh, you know the damage was localized to a specific area, which did not seem to be characteristic for an earthquake. Uh, that was naturally occurring. Is, is that true or not? And my second part of the question is, is there any evidence that HARP is being used uh, to modify the weather in 
conjunction with the uh, chemtrails uh, or, or not? Uh, the first uh, question um, on the uh, is there is there something unique about this area or Fukushima? I, I really don't know the answer to that in terms of where this thing was generated and its signature. Um, I, I've not, I, I just don't have that background to, to, to make that interpretation. The other question on HARP and um, chemtrails or contrails that are being reported, people have drawn associations with them. Uh, you really don't need anything uh, with, with HARP to affect um, uh, most, most of the factors that people are pointing to with ke- uh, chemical or other constituents in the atmosphere. Uh, could you trigger events? Uh, think about any kind of chemical or a compound, you can stimulate it by pumping energy in at a very specific frequency range, just like tuning a radio, so you can create some enhanced effects or some unusual effects with different kinds of materials. Um, HARP as a radio transmitter of, of size that can do some things differently than others, yeah, you probably could. Um, is it necessary? Probably not. And there's plenty of people, I think, researching those areas of contrails, chemtrails. I'm, I'm not really not one of them. Uh, to, to make those conclusions. All right, Eric, thank you. Thank you again for the call. Thanks for that. So let's move along. We also have Ron in Michigan on the line. Ron, thanks for calling in. Hey, James, uh, Dr. Bevage. Uh, Dr. Bevage, uh, do you know, what do you know about poker flats? Uh, poker, the poker flats uh, rocket range in Alaska actually is a, U.S.-owned, most people don't even know it exists, but it's taxpayer-paid rocket range. It was actually uh, uh, advanced when HARP was advanced. They got a $30 million grant at the same time HARP got some of its first appropriations. And actually, uh, it was needed because uh, you launch, in the case of HARP, you can launch barium, as an example, really fine-grained barium into the upper atmosphere. And, And what it'll do when you energize it then with, with pulsed radio frequency energy in the right range, you can stimulate that barium so it glows. And so when you're, a couple ideas they had was one of them was pumping this uh, cyclotron resonance energy, this energy that looked like kind of corkscrewing energy going up from the radio transmitter, if you could see it. And it would wrap itself around the magnetic field lines that surround the Earth at the poles. And so they wanted to see if that was occurring, and this gave them an opportunity to inject that area with uh, barium and then, um, energize it, and they could actually see that you know that phenomenon occur where the energy courts go around those magnetic field lines and uh, be followed in the way that they had hoped, which was to accelerate electrons uh, from the North Pole to the South Pole, so that if you had like a intercontinental ballistic missile or some satellite or something going through that zone, it would encounter uh, a huge amount of energy that would disturb it, cause to malfunction and crash. So the idea of building um, a shield was one of the concepts. Uh, that, that kind of came out of it. But Poker Flats was associated with some of that experimentation. Well, it's still ongoing, isn't it? They, they launch about a rocket a week out there. Oh, yeah, they're doing a lot of different work out there for sure. And it's um, rocket science and um, defense-related projects. And the University of Alaska gets a significant um, amount of DOD funding, and most big universities do these days. Mm-hmm. Well, I've always looked on it as the mirrors that they use it. To bounce harp off of, or, or you say, uh, you know, study, you know, it's all a con- conjunction with harp, but it's never mentioned. Yeah. I mean, yeah. So, 
I don't know. Yeah, it's used all the time for a lot of different reasons. You bet. And there's, and then of course you got the one in Kodiak, another rocket launch facility that has some pretty unique capability. And these are again taxpayer, largely taxpayer funded facilities. Mm-hmm. Oh, about the only other thing I wanted to ask you about is you know about the Russian uh, woodpecker system or the Soviet woodpecker system, which was uh, you know similar to HARP and. Predated right. by quite a few years. Have you ever right. heard of the facility uh, that, that was moved from Riga down south of Havana? They have uh, supposedly a harp type facility in Cuba, south of Havana. Have you heard of that? Or? I, I, I haven't. But you know, when you look at the oldest transmitters, these were once called ionosphere heaters, which gets back to this question of you know heating the ionosphere above these earthquake zones. And this was something associated with the old. Soviet transmitters where you had this uh, sound that was like a woodpecker, actually. That's where it got its sound. They triangulated locations uh, to locations in the former Soviet Union. And, and in that, the, you know, these are sort of the precursors to HARP. What you have with HARP is a much more versatile, faster, uh, more powerful uh, system that can do a lot more based on you know, a sizable amount of technology over the last uh, 50, 60 years. Mm-hmm. I know that HARP was originally intended they were going to run a pipeline over there and have gas generators for for energizing it uh, uh, from the from the uh, pipeline, but they uh, settled on a system where they just powered it with six locomotive engines. Uh, is that right. upgraded, or is that still this? I'm not sure how many uh, engines and what size their generation capacity is out there. You know, I I was out with the. Um, uh, History Channel, and we flew over it a few weeks ago, and all that's uh, enclosed in a pretty good-sized power-generating plant. But remember, this is a developmental prototype. It, it, eventually, these are intended to be uh, uh, utilized across the northern regions of the, of the country in Alaska, which already has you know, gas fields kind of in, in place. But as a power source, um, I believe they're still running on some kind of uh, large diesel system. Yeah, locomotive engines. Well, thank you very yeah. much, Dr. Bradley. Well, great. Okay, thank you, Ron. Thank you for the call. And uh, we have Shirley in Minnesota also waiting patiently on the line. So, Shirley, thanks for the call tonight. What's on your mind? Yes, uh, I thank you so much for your program. It's so informative. I did not catch the first part of the program, so maybe one of my questions might have been answered already. I'm not sure. But And, Nick Bigich, I've, I've read your uh, book, Aiden Hills, Don't Play This Harp, and I... I uh, could get out the basics of it. It's very heavy for me. I'd probably have to read it over and over again, but I've tried to do some research on the Internet. Anyway, I have two questions, and uh, one of them is the, the uh, weird sounds that are being observed around the country, uh, I guess all over the world as far as I know. I've caught some of it on YouTube. And, and then also the sinkholes that are happening supposedly caused by the Madrid fault line, and I'm just wondering if, HARP has something to do with either one of these or both of these or whatever. Uh, not, you know, I don't, I don't think HARP would have anything to do with it. You know, the Madrid fault line is something that is active periodically over usually pretty long periods of time in the okay. middle of the United States. Uh, so, you know, and it's kind of like, like any fault line, they build energy and then the energy gets released at some point. How that releases can be pretty devastating as it has been along, you know, along that fault line historically quite a few years back. The um, uh, the idea of sounds emanating from harp, you could just stimulate sounds. They can do some pretty unique things with it. Um, 
you know, I, I, they've done some things, uh, got uh, the ionosphere to uh, vibrate to Wagner when they did some experimentation at the Max Planck Institute with ionospheric heaters by just pumping the energy in. But I don't know that I actually created a, a sound wave, a phenomenon that you could perceive with your ears. Um, so so I, don't, I don't know that that would be associated with anything apart. Mm-hmm. But I appreciate the, call. I appreciate the okay. question. Okay, thank you. All right, thank you, Shirley. And thank you to all the callers. Uh, lots of interest in harp, obviously, and, and it continues to grow. And as you say, the uh, Angels Don't Play This Harp was written in 1994, but still in print and still uh, still a lot of people cite it as one of the, the key works on harp. So absolutely, you had the foresight to be writing about this long before most people had even heard of it. But I w- did want to get into some of the other uh, things that you write about uh, tonight as well, uh, including one that's linked up on earthpulse.com an article that you wrote called Mind Control, The Ultimate Brave New World. And still, to a lot of people, mind control technology still sounds like science fiction fantasy, but, of course, it's been something that's been openly and admittedly worked on for many decades now. Perhaps you can talk a little bit about that uh, type of technology and what it is we're we're talking about when we talk about mind control. Sure. In fact, um, I I published a book called uh, Controlling the Human Mind on this very subject. It's got over 250 uh, sources, and... It's really looking at the mind in a different way. You know, when you think about big systems like HARP and this, where it first came out and some of my, my work was the idea that you could pulse modulate a signal into HARP and then create an ELF, extremely low frequency signal that actually within the, within a certain range, you can, you can create an FFR, a frequency following response, uh, in the brain. And you can do this through a number of methods. You can do it through flickering light. You can do it through um, electrocranial stimulation, you do it through radio frequency stimulation. But the point is the brain will lock on to these external signals, begin to mirror them or follow them, and then brain chemistry changes and emotional states can be altered, you know, pretty effectively in that way and pretty efficiently. This, this technology has been around, you know, quite a while and, uh, the thing that we found in the open literature is more and more information, um, of our own governments and other governments work in this area to the point where uh, the desired outcomes, let me give you some of those, to be able to uh, artificially create all the five senses, sight, sound, touch, taste, smell, in such a way as to create complete memory sets or holograms or, uh, or images or memories that didn't even occur. You know, that kind of synthetic um, creation. There's actually a couple of uh, DARPA contracts uh, right now on, on that area and a number of others. But there was an article called... Um, Uncontrolled effects. It was in uh, te- uh, uh, a publication, um, te- Technology Horizons, by the U.S. Air Force Research Lab in June of um, 2004, and it, and it dealt with this whole concept of you know, sort of that sort of the brave new world, the ultimate step, and then a number of contracts on this area. And one of the others that was released was on a um, artificial form of uh, telepathy, where they would be able to monitor. Um, with very high resolution, the brain activity of an individual, and then based on that activity, deduce what that person's thinking, and then conversely, create complex signals that they could then broadcast back into that individual that they would receive and perceive as um, their own thoughts, memories, or experiences. And so, you know, when you start to think about that kind of science being developed and evolved by our military and others, that's pretty startling. In fact, for me, that was the most important um, area of science that, that I've researched in, in the sense of its implications for uh, humankind. I mean, think about basic liberties, freedom, speech, uh, uh, religion, 
assembly, they all presuppose uh, free freedom of uh, thought and consciousness. But to alter that or to manipulate that, uh, from at least my perspective, is is a, a pretty threatening technology if it's done without your fully informed consent for some specific purpose that you agree to. Well, absolutely. There's no doubt that the implications of this are, are huge, and it's even beginning to filter down to the civilian research level, as we've seen stories in the last uh, couple of months alone of uh, researchers who have been able to monitor brainwaves and basically piece together what words people were thinking about by some of their brain uh, activity, which is uh, right. starting to get into that uh, that extremely um, worrying part of, uh, of the development of technology, because, of course, the uh, the implications are, well, the military uh, research is probably more advanced than that, and what oh, are yeah. the implications of this? But but you do open that uh, that article I cited earlier, Mind Control, the Ultimate Brave New World, with an interesting quotation from the U.S. Air Force, where uh, in one of their documents, New World Vistas, Air and Space Power for the 21st Century, they write, it would also appear possible to create high-fidelity speech right. in the human body, raising the possibility of covert suggestion and psychological direction, thus it may be possible to talk to selected adversaries right. in a fashion that would be most disturbing to them. And uh, again, that's coming right. from some time ago, but recently we've seen this even filter down to the level of commercial technology, where, where advertisers beam things directly into people's right. brains. <laughs> And it just starts getting more and more Orwellian, or, or I guess the uh, better me- uh, metaphor these days would be uh, minority reportish. But, uh, but along those lines, yeah. anyway, and it's becoming more part of our daily reality. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, uh, once again, we're up against a break, but uh, we'll again take a few minutes break, but we'll be right back to finish up the conversation with Dr. Nick Begich. And once again, I wholeheartedly advise people to go to earthpulse.com, Earth Pulse Press, so that they can go and read some of these articles for themselves. And the links will be at corbettreport.com slash radio. back, friends, on Corbett Report Radio. In the final few minutes, our conversation with Dr. Nick Begich, once again, Earth Pulse Press at earthpulse.com. And just in the final few minutes here, Dr. Begich, I wanted to move into something perhaps a little bit more empowering in terms of uh, making sure that people come away with something positive from today's conversation, because there is a lot of worrying information when we start talking about these types of technologies that more and more are affecting our daily lives and are uh, more and more menacing in terms of their abilities. But it's also important to understand that the people do have uh, the ability to to overcome this and that there are things that people can do to arm themselves intellectually uh, to to prevent these types of things from taking over their lives and consuming them. So so on that note, there is a uh, empowerment section on earthpulse.com and I would point people to a, an interesting article called Change Agents in Reality Creation, talking about some of the things that, that people can do to turn the tables on the program, so to speak. But perhaps you can speak to that, uh, what it is that people can do to empower themselves in the face of this very worrying technology. Well, I, I think in, information is useful, and at the same time recognizing that there's some, you know, there's two-edged sword in all of these technologies. There's a lot of great things happening in terms of understanding the brain and consciousness itself, and I think this is uh, maybe one of the more exciting parts of, of the research and maybe the more frightening for some. But the idea that you have uh, uh, even anomalous uh, human capabilities comes out of the research. This idea of enhanced uh, human performance from uh, different technologies has been now used in a, in a number of ways for increasing learning, uh, for addressing ADD and uh, attention deficit disorders of various kinds, hyperactivity. 
using things like brain biofeedback, neurobiofeedback, and you know, with higher and higher resolutions or understandings of the human mind and the brain, consciousness, how it functions, um, you know, I think there's some really great possibilities on the horizon. At the same time, uh, caution uh, uh, with these very technologies. Uh, gaining knowledge, having the understanding of what they are and what they do, that's what uh, I've been doing the last uh, 17 years. Uh, controlling the human mind, a book about uh, the subject of mind control was set up to sort of say, you know, here's the sort of the sinister side of this technology. But on the other side, there's these possibilities that um, that are being explored uh, in a number of areas. At the same time, um, taking a look at sort of the consequences, political activity in this area, the need for regulation. And we think about gaming as an example today. You know, gaming isn't done by people just taking a survey after a game is played to see what works best. It's done by imaging the brain in real time to figure out what parts or to directly stimulate certain parts of the brain. Those parts of the brain associated with addictive behaviors, same parts that um, are associated with uh, heroin addiction or, or uh, addiction nicotine are stimulated. Uh, at the same time, adrenal glands are stimulated. You know, the various parts of the brains that are stimulated to cause certain reactions within the body. Um, now, in developing gaming, makes them pretty profound, you know, their implications for health and for um, just, you know, generally when you think about what they actually do, uh, they affect you on a fundamental level. Um, and, you know, none of that is, of course, regulated. And I think those are things that at least deserve some discussion, of some notification, some understanding by the public as we continue to evolve our science in, in a number of these areas. Regulation, um, education, and than perhaps better applications of, of the science. Well, you certainly are right. The technology does cut both ways, and it's something I think about a lot as I use the Internet to get the word out on so many different subjects, and it's the same Internet that's being increasingly controlled and monitored and surveilled at all levels. Right. So right. it is part of right. that, that thing that we're facing as a society now. But at any rate, I certainly would direct people to some of your uh, previous works. I've been directing them to earthpulse.com. Are there any other websites you'd like to plug here in the final moment? Uh, no, I appreciate people going there. Our books videos are available and we appreciate support um, when people buy them and when you're done with them give them to your library let others uh, share that information excellent good idea to uh, help spread the word so Dr. Begich it's been fascinating I certainly hope we can get you on again in the future and to all of the listeners and callers tonight thank you so much for your time and uh, mental energies and I'm looking forward to talking to you all again tomorrow night